Welcome everybody for another one in our series of financial well-being podcasts. My name is David Lloyd. I'm a general man about town, an actor, a writer, a broadcaster, but most importantly, the co-host of this fantastic podcast, which we've now been doing for, wait for it, seven unbelievable years. And in all of that time, one person has been, I don't want to say co-hosting it, it's his podcast, really. He wrote the book. He did all the stuff. Say hello, Chris. Oh, I thought you were going to say Tomo then. <laughs> <laughs> morning, everybody. Um, I, I've, I've had a, a troublesome morning, and uh, the activity I have to look forward to once this podcast is finished is to have to go and wash the fox poo off my dog. Always yeah. enjoy that one. It didn't have pong, doesn't it? Fox oh, poo. it stinks. Currently locked in the kitchen. I won't let her upstairs or in the lounge or anywhere. <laughs> She's just locked in the kitchen while we do this. Oh, it's horrible smell. Oh, well, good luck with that. So apart from the financial guru and uh, an expert that is, and fox poo cleaner that is Chris Bunn, for, for all but seven of these podcasts, we've also been joined by, I don't want to say my other guest, because that implies some sense of ownership of me. So my other co-presenter, Tomo. Say hello, Tomo. Hello, David. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. You're sounding a bit sheepish. You were telling me earlier about some bizarre um, health challenges that you've oh. taken on. Gosh, I mean, it is so cliche, David. So New Year's Day, feeling a little bit bloated, feeling I'd let myself go. We've all been there, haven't we? Busy life, etc., etc. All the excuses. And I was with a friend, and she said, "Oh, I've I've seen this challenge where you run every day for thirty-one days in January. Should we do it?" I was like, "Oh yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I need a challenge." I'm day thirteen in now because we're recording this on the thirteenth of January, and yeah, I'm thoroughly miserable. Um, so yeah, don't do it, folks. Just don't do it. Just get slowly fatter. Drink what you want, eat what you want. No, I, I don't mean it. I do feel better for it. Um, but talking of dates, so yeah, and it is a big day today. It is my son Toby's sixth birthday. So happy, happy birthday, birthday, Toby! Toby. <laughs> um, and an early start, naturally, um, as is the way with with little ones and their birthdays. But super exciting. But it it got us talking. Uh, pre-hitting the record button about uh, well just over six years ago we were recording a podcast and um, actually do you know what Tammy would you mind playing the clip and it would be a nice reminder for those that that listened way back or those that haven't and as you give me chuckling that was over six years ago oh phone's ringing the phone phone's clear. ringing it's Lindsay Hang on, on the phone <laughs> hello can you pick up oh, some milk? Oh, <laughs> what? So just, just to let our listeners know, my wife has just uh, called up and she starts off with, oh, don't worry, don't panic. It's not what you think it is. Do carry on. <laughs> You're not going into labour. Okay. Oh. Uh. Now, I remember that moment, Tomo, and you were bloody terrified when that phone went off. <laughs> I, I, I just got chills still thinking about it, actually, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> Yeah, happy days, happy days. Well, well done, well done for surviving the first six years. You've now got the next really difficult twelve to come, and then you have your life. <laughs> oh, God, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. My son's thirty-four now. He's uh, he's he's all on his own. Well, I say all on his own. Financially, he's on his own. I don't have to spend any money on him. And uh, although obviously we do spend time together, basically he's an independent person in his own right. 
And you've got that to look forward to with yours, Tobo. Wow. Right, so happy birthday, Toby. Um, uh, Chris, uh, after all the waffle, what are we going to talk about on today's podcast? Before we do, actually, before we do, I'd like an update because I understand that you are writing another financial well-being book. And I'd like an update on where we're at with that, please. Or as we say around here, where we're two. We are, uh, so the, the, the manuscript went in back in September. I saw the front cover of the book, or we chose the front cover of the book. Tomo and a, and a few friends of mine all helped with, a, with the colour selection. That was great. So um, it's due to be out in April, and I hope very soon to get the edited manuscript back and start working on that. So, yeah, very exciting. And, in fact, today we're going to look at an aspect. It's kind of, in a way, it's the theme of the book, um, which is, or one of the central themes about how having to think about money and financial planning can actually have a detrimental effect on our health. Oh, well, that's a bit controversial. I shall uh, look forward very much to seeing how you develop that particular argument, because it sounds in some way completely a complete contradiction of everything we've been talking about for the last seven years. <laughs> However, let's park that for a minute, because before we do that, we need to move on to the first of our two regular features, no shizzle Sherlock, in which we listen to some accepted words of wisdom about investing and wonder whether this is indeed the sort of advice that every investor should follow, or is it a little bit like when you're sitting around and you've already drunk one bottle of wine and you think, I, I've had a really, really good idea, let's open another one, or is it perhaps something that you should completely ignore? So <laughs> what have you got for us today then? Great analogy. Love that. Um, one, one we could all relate to, unfortunately. Uh, so today we're going to look at a quote from an American who is a pioneer in financial planning, a chap called Carl Richards. Ah, uh, now that name's familiar. He's been on the podcast as a guest, hasn't he? He has. He has. We were fortunate to have him. I think it was episodes 15 and 19 from my from my notes. Um, he was very good, too. So so please do go go and listen to what he had to say. So Carl's a top fella. and. He's, uh, along with, with a handful of others, one of the people who certainly changed the way I think about money and financial planning. And there's one line that he said a few times, might even have said it on one of those episodes, um, that I now use myself. After all, there's nothing wrong in nicking other people's stuff as long as you credit them, right? There is no such thing as a new idea, so I've heard, Chris. Exactly. So the line Carl uses is about creating a financial plan. And he says... The only thing we know for certain about our financial plan for the future is that it is going to be wrong. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. On first hearing that, I feel that it could tempt me to not bother making a plan in the first place. If something can't be right, then why should I make any effort into doing it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I get that, David. I get that. Um, but there is another way to take it. And I think this is, is, is where Carl's going along with this is the idea to encourage us to think about our future with a with a certain flexibility, not to get too hung up about, you know, creating that perfect future or, or too fixated on trying to achieve something when it might turn out to be, you know, something that we don't actually want after all or that isn't attainable. Um, I think we talk about this know thyself um, a lot in the podcast. Um, and it's, we talk, it's talked a lot about in Chris's book, actually the first one. And, you know, when we work with clients to create plans for their future, you know, I'm always careful not to make those plans too firm. I want to get a general idea of where they're headed and how their finances can help them achieve that. 
but also to be careful to allow those plans to change over time. Ah, so although, yeah, I get that. It sounds a bit daft on first hearing. It's actually sound advice. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think it's very sensible. Approach the future with an open mind and set plans that you're willing to adapt. Yeah, all right, okay. So I think we're going to say that this is indeed no shizzle Sherlock. Yeah, not exactly obvious, but it is a good bit of advice, yes. Yeah, all right. They're now talking about good bits of advice. We're going to move on now to uh, the expert when it comes to saving money, the genius that is Titus Tomo. But before we come on to his tip for how we can save money, Chris, I believe you might have one. I do, David, I do. Uh, it's not at so much of a tip. Um, well, it, it is a tip, but it's not a tight-ass tip. But I, would, I wanted to take the opportunity to just mention a chap who passed away this week. Paul Etheridge was one of the first people to introduce cash flow forecasting in the UK with his company Prestwood. There were lots of tributes to him. He's in his 80s, so he had a good innings, etc., etc. But he was a real pioneer, but a very quiet and humble one, and not one that gets often mentioned. Now, there's a lot of tips on uh, tributes on social media. In one, a chap called Clive Waller passed on a great tip that Paul once gave him, which I think is just lovely. He said, agree to give a talk on an unfamiliar subject six months ahead, and you'll be an expert when you come to do it. That's very, very true. I, I remember when I was at school being in a maths lesson, well, I was a duffer at maths, which is why I carry out this particularly unique uh, role on this podcast. Um, and uh, I can remember we're working through this book and we've got this teacher, this maths teacher, who's also called Mr. Lloyd, actually, co co confusingly. Anyway, so I had this particular problem and I'm going, sir, 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 I can't work it out. I can't work it out. And he came uh, and, and he, he looked at it and he had in his hand the companion answer book to the book of questions that I had. And he actually had to look it up in his answer book because <laughs> he didn't know what the answer was, but he was at least one step ahead of me. And then he made the fundamental error of being called away and leaving his answer book on my oh. desk. <laughs> so I very, quickly, I very quickly copied up the answers to all the questions that were coming up. And about two minutes later, well, where did I leave my book? I said, it's here, sir. He came and picked it up. So, yes, keeping ahead of everybody else is one good way of becoming, if only briefly, an expert in something. That's, that's, that's really good advice. And I've got Basically, the motto, it's the motto of this podcast, isn't it? <laughs> I think it probably is, yes. Make it up as you go along and sound like you know what you're talking about. Um, I resemble that remark. <laughs> no, you should do, Chris, because you particularly put a lot of preparation. Me and David, however, just <laughs> just rock up and wing it. Just turn up on the day and wing it. Now, I've got a tight ass tip as well, and it kind of goes back to something Tommer was saying earlier on about his health challenge. Well, I've also taken on a health challenge, which is a more familiar one, which is dry January. So uh, here we are on the 13th of January, and, and like you, Tomo, I woke up on New Year's Day feeling a bit sorry for myself. And I haven't had a drink since. Uh, and I'm somebody that enjoys a drink. I make no bones about that at all. Uh, and I'm at the stage now where the cravings have gone. And I actually, do you know what? I'm really enjoying it. I wake up in the morning. I sleep so much better. I wake up with a lot more energy. I'm refreshed. I, I'm getting a lot more done. However, I'm bored rigid. <laughs> 
it's not so bad during the week, but I get to Friday. So Friday today, and I'm thinking, oh, it's been a long, busy week. Oh, gin and tonic, glass of wine. And all I've got to look forward to is a can of no alcohol beer and a bit of telly. But never mind. I'm doing very well on it. I'm feeling very healthy. And coming back to the reason for this being a tight-ass tip, I'm saving an absolute fortune. So uh, there's something that I can pass on to the steady tipplers amongst you. Have a few weeks off. So the, the other half to that, David, and well done you, by the way. The other, the other half to that is um, spending what you're saving on something that brings you joy. Well, I've just booked a holiday, so yeah, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Where I will more than make up for all the, f- the drinking I'm not doing now. <laughs> <laughs> right, Chris. So you've set high expectations for this episode with a. He's done title, it again. Why? He's done it again, listener. He's completely uh, missed the actual reason people. Even the only reason anybody, anybody, exactly. I apologise. I was so carried away with my own sobriety, <laughs> I completely forgot to introduce the master of meanness himself, Titus Tomo. What have you got for us, Tom? Well, now we've kind of built it up. It's, it's going to be a real letdown, isn't it? Um, do you know, I was reminded because I was. It's that time of year where certain insurances come up, car insurance. Um, household insurance, all that sort of thing. And the quotes come through. Now, it's hard to avoid the fact that interest rates are going up. um, And that means that lending is becoming more expensive. And that also goes to this paying for your insurance annually or monthly. So it often isn't a case of, oh, here's the annual cost where, where you can pay it over a 12 month period. No, they're slap on an interest rate for that. It's effectively a loan that you're you're taking out and interest rates are really creeping up you know we're talking double digits now on some of these products so so my tip to you is over the next 12 months start to list when some of these insurances are coming up look at how much it's likely to cost over the year and start to put away that money now so you can pay for the annual option instead of the monthly one and you'll you'll likely save yourself a few quid Oh, okay. So even though the direct debit monthly option is often costed to be cheaper over a year, you reckon because of the way interest rates are going, you'd be better off doing it that way? I, I rarely see it's it's costed as cheaper. You'll find that if you take out the annual premium option, and again, each product will be different, but look at it. What's it going to cost me to pay for it one-off lump sum on day one versus paying for it over a 12-month period? And I would imagine nine times out of 10, you'll find that it's more expensive to pay for it over a 12 month period monthly because they've slapped on a small interest rate on it. I say small, wow. this obviously increasing. I'll tell you right. what, David, tight ass Tom used to be a lot more fun. I know. I think we should, I think we should just go back to dry January and cheating at maths. That's a brilliant tip. Thank you very much for that. So, as I uh, set off on a false trail earlier. High expectations for this episode, Chris, with your title of Why Wealth is Bad for Your Health. So, my friend, back up this bold assertion. Okay, David, here goes. The logical argument, it's quite simple, actually. It's as follows. Stress is bad for our health. Money is stressful. Ergo, money is bad for our health. Right, well, that was easy. Thanks very much for listening to today's Financial Wellbeing Podcast. Join us next time for another one. Come back. 
Come back, come back. I do have more. Come back. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. I thought this was going to be one of the shortest episodes ever. So look, let's look about, first of all, let's look at the point about stress being bad for your health. Okay. So there's a new area of medicine, relatively new, known as integrative medicine. It has a number of other titles, such as social prescribing. And it's all about looking beyond treating the illness itself and instead treating the whole patient. Yeah, that's not new, though, is it, Chris? Well, okay, it's new to Western medicine, maybe. Um, That's slightly controversial. But as you know, I do a lot of speaking at conferences, and one of my talks is about the stethoscope and how it enables doctors to see inside the body without having to talk to the patient. Some consultants even now diagnose and prescribe without even meeting the patient, or at least not gaining any understanding of the patient in their lives and anything that's happening in their lives which may have created the illness in the first place. And I will come to their defence. There's an awful lot of time constraints with that, certainly within um, the, the healthcare system in this country. Um, but there is a really important parallel with financial advice here, David. If Western medicine tends to just treat the illness and doesn't always look at the whole, the, the patient as a whole person, the same goes for an awful lot of financial advisors. They might do a great job advising on the client's investments their tax or their pensions. But if they aren't discussing what the money is for and whether it is to make them more or less happy, then they are simply advising the money and not the person. So look, this area of integrative medicine has become very popular in some areas, although um, its foothold in general practice and hospitals is, is pretty light, if I'm honest. Some places get it, some don't. Uh, you may remember the Penny Bronze Centre, the proceeds of the Financial Wellbeing book will go to the Penny Bronze Centre. Um, now, when somebody first goes to the Penny Bronze Centre, they very often in their first meetings get shown a video, which listeners can look up on YouTube. It's um, there, There's lots of different versions of this, of this sort of video, but it shows something called an immune cell. We all have immune cells in our bodies and they travel around the body fighting and absorbing cells that are bad for us, such as cancerous cells. And in this video, you can actually see an immune cell absorbing a cancer cell. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I've got in America, um, I remember seeing that, that they call immune cells killer T cells. I mean, very I, American. Yeah, very, very, very visceral, um, but certainly to the point, which, uh, which is, I guess, quite helpful when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, you know, one excellent video for this is the killer T cell attacking cancer, if I, if I remember rightly, um, which you can see on YouTube. Um, and Tammy, if you wouldn't mind putting a link in the show notes. So the medical treatment we get for our illnesses looks to break down or weaken the bad cells. It attacks the tumour, the cancer, or whatever. The, it doesn't have to be just cancer, whatever the illness is. But there's another side to the story, which is to support the immune cells. Now, presumably, that's not just at the critical times of an illness, but all the time? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So preventative medicine is another name for this. But no, it's not instead of conventional medicine. It's in addition to, it's supportive. This means uh, areas such as good eating, being healthy, mindfulness, and the opposite of all of these things that are bad for us, most notably, stress. Stress is really bad for immune cells and our bodies. And of course, there is nothing more stressful than worrying about money. So this brings us to the second part of the argument. Why is money so stressful? Well, I suspect that one answer is because we think that we never seem to have enough of it. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it, David. You know, one of the questions we always, 
you know, have at the back of our heads when we're advising clients at Ovation is how much is enough. This does not mean, you know, a magical number that you sometimes hear financial gurus talking about. What we don't want to do is put a definitive figure on how much we need to be happy, but we do need to spend time thinking about what our chosen future might cost. Um, you know, that's where cash flow forecasting and proper financial planning is there and helps clients. And I'll, and I'll go back to this point about um, what Carl talked about. It's why we don't want this this fixation of a number. It's because this plan needs to be flexible as well. This idea of enough or, or more, which is the opposite of enough, um, is a real issue with financial well-being. It's one of the crucial parts to, to realise that we can never have enough when it comes to money. We need to change that attitude. Um, one reason for this is because we tend to judge our success by reference to others. This is a theory of happiness called the comparison theory, that how happy we are depends on who we compare ourselves to. We very rarely compare ourselves downwards and think how lucky we are. Instead, we tend to spend our time comparing upwards and thinking we should always have more. Do you know what? That's really interesting, Chris. So I think I think we're all guilty of that. And uh, I remember just before Christmas, um, I was just doing a little sort of review of where I'm at financially. And, you know, I kind of need to buy a new car. I'm not sure I can quite afford it. I'm trying to juggle my money and all of that stuff. Uh, and then I thought, oh, yeah, I thought exactly that. I wonder, I just wish I had a little bit more money. And then a uh, week before Christmas, I went up north to visit my brothers who live up there. I was talking to one of my brothers who is a postman. Uh, and he's got a very happy life. He's very happily married. He's got lovely stepkids. He's got a lovely family. And he's one of those people that is very contented with his life. Doesn't earn as much as I do, but he's very contented with his life. But we're chatting away in the pub. Uh, and of course, he's been on strike along with all of the other posties. Uh, and what you tend to forget sometimes, you know, people moan about all these people going on strike. Actually, the financial implications for my brother at Christmas were that because of the strikes, as a postie, probably not the best paid job in the world, he had lost a £1,000 in income in December leading up to Christmas. Uh, he was still going to have a good Christmas. I, I'm... <laughs> I don't want to equate him to Bob Cratchit. It's an unfair comparison. But you know what, <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? He ha, he's got a lovely family. And so irrespective of all of that, he was going to have a good Christmas. And it really made me realise that actually the things that I was concerned about, at least what I don't have to worry about, is am I going to be able to afford to put food on the table? And how am I going to replace that £1,000 of my income at a time when typically we are spending a lot more money? And that really gave me pause for thought. And also made sure that I gave my postie an extra large tip that year as well. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. Um, yeah, it's a great example. This word more, the fact that we never seem to have enough, is one reason why money is so stressful. If we can't ever achieve a goal, then that's always going to be stressful to us. A second reason is that we simply are not built to make good money decisions. Now, can you be more specific about that? How are we not built to make good money decisions do you know what? I, let, let's give some examples i can around this and, and something to talk to, to quite a few people about recently you know what education did we each have about money when we were at school well specific well, like go on david after you. i was going to say specifically in my case obviously we did maths I talked about it earlier i was very good at cheating at maths uh, did they have any 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 money reference we to never maths? talked about how you could apply we never talked about the things that we talk about in this podcast about 
how you can save money, how you can invest money, or all of all of the think the things that are really important. I mean, you look at uh, what Rishi Sunak has recently said that he wants everybody to do maths until they're eighteen, which, for a self-confessed maths duffer, I think is, on the face of it, a ridiculous concept. I mean, I was I say I'm a duffer. I know my um, uh, tables pretty well, and that they seven, seven times eight. Pardon. Seven times eight. Fifty-six. Hey, well there done. We go. So, so, uh, and that's that stands me in really good stead. I can sometimes add up or subtract a row of figures if they're written down far more quickly than I can by entering the details into a calculator. So I've got good mental arithmetic. Um, beyond that, I've never really had to uh, worry too much about things because I employ people like Tomo to do my thinking for me in terms of financial planning, and I have an accountant to make sure that my taxes are paid. All right, I pay on top for that. Um, so I guess I learned enough about maths at school, but but only be, for the basics. Anything that I've learned about how to apply money in the real world, I've had to learn as an adult. And I think it's a real shame that that's not taught more in schools. Yeah, exactly. And and all the stuff that you've said are, are, are exactly as you put it are none of the things that we do on this podcast. And actually, it's quite interesting with the three of us that we have here, because um, Tomo would have had his education in, what, the 90s, Tomo? Most of your senior school education? Uh, I, 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 I finished my A-levels in 2005. Okay, so, yeah. So, yeah, so, my, so my secondary ed- education was 98 through to 2005. Yeah, so, so, the, so you were the late 90s, mine was the 80s, and of course David was the 1940s. So <laughs> we've got all three covered. <laughs> well, I was, there, I was there 66 to 73, I was at secondary school. And so actually the big thing for me was the, was the shift from um, uh, into decimalisation. So we had pounds, shillings, and pence, and then in 1969, 1970. I couldn't give a straight face, David. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forget that, that that wasn't too long ago, I guess. It wasn't that long ago, and so I was brought up pounds, shillings, and pence. Uh, and so not only did I have to learn an entire new way of looking at money, which is, of course, incredibly simple, because because you know we picked it up fairly quickly, Um and, but also new weights and measurements and things like that. Mm. I still think in uh, pounds and ounces for weights. I can't get my head around grams at all for weights. So, so that was probably the big thing that my generation had to undergo. Um, in but, but to be fair, David, you all, you had pensions in pets, but you also had free love, didn't you? In the late well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, we could do whatever we wanted with no consequences whatsoever. <laughs> and low, unfortunately, and, and, unfortunately and, I was only I was only eleven in nineteen sixty six. So, so my financial education, um, the only thing I can think of in my entire schooling that had anything to do with money, uh, and this dates me a little bit, uh, is when we were taught how to write a check um, in the sixth form. Uh, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, I almost left school without any idea of how you write a check. How crazy. There were, that was the only way to pay for things in those days, other than cash. But you had to write a check out to get cash out the bank. So... Um, so that was the only thing I learned. And the idea of learning anything about, uh, never mind about maths, but just about uh, what makes you happy mm. and how money can help that or hinder it, which, let's face it, is at the heart of everything we talk about on this podcast. Uh, no, absolutely zero. What about you, Tommy? I can't remember any at all. And um, the more I think about it, and I, I mean, okay, my schooling was now, oh, God, I don't even want to say it out loud how long ago. It wasn't that long ago. And I ha- I can't remember having any, and I think the biggest issue with that is who 
where, where, where did I get my, my education on, on money before, you know, I then went off to university and happened to start fend for myself. It was from my parents. Well, where did they get their education from? Well, they didn't. So it's kind of this, this vicious circle going around that, you know, the people that we look to, to help us with this sort of thing aren't prepared themselves. So yeah, not, not yeah. ideal. Yeah, so message for the Prime Minister, by all means, uh, look at uh, financial training in schools, but not necessarily pure maths. I think some sort of uh, education in how to look after money and budget and plan and all of those things that we've discussed, Mm. I think would be a welcome addition to the school curriculum. Completely agree. And just to let Rishi know, I am available (laughs) uh, if (laughs) you want somebody to decide it all for him. (laughs) So uh, we, we don't have any financial education growing up. Uh, and I'm by financial education, we mean this stuff, financial well-being, relationship with money type stuff, let alone anything else. If we go back much, much further, thousands of years, even if we just go back hundreds of years, humans have never needed to think about their financial futures. So we don't have any training about how to deal with budgeting and debt, etc. But we also don't have any any history of having to be concerned about putting money away from the future. Most people hundreds of years ago didn't live beyond working age. And if they did, they lived in family units and were cared for by their families. Only in the last century, with improvements to life expectancy, did we have to start thinking about funding for our lives beyond work. In 1901, life expectancy for those who reached 18, sorry, who reached 15, uh, that takes out improvements to infant mortality. So life expectancy for those who reached 15 was 62. In 2001, that had risen to 76. This is mostly, therefore, made up of years that we will not be working, which means that for the first time in the history of all of mankind, the 20th century brought in the need for financial planning. Well, well, when you put it like that. Um, I mean, even then, though, Chris, employers and governments um, stepped in for, for a lot of the 20th century. You know, back in the 70s, you know, someone would retire at, at 50 years after 50 years and, you know, get the gold watch and the pension and off you go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so even up until the 80s, we still didn't have to think about our financial future. Then in the 80s, two things happened. Firstly, Margaret Thatcher introduced the personal pension, giving control to individuals to look after their own financial future. The trouble is, as we've just discussed, this was not accompanied with any type of financial education on how to do it, which is going to therefore cause you stress. If you're given responsibility for something with no training, that's going to be stressful. Then Robert Maxwell fell off his boat and over the ensuing decade, government legislation brought in to protect employees actually resulted in all the final salary or now called defined benefit schemes being closed down. Wow. So what you're saying is that it's only the last 40 years out of the entire history of mankind that we've been expected to think about and cater for our financial futures. I can see what you mean now when you say we're simply not wired to do this. And I can also imagine if we're expected to do something that we're not good at, then this is going to be stressful, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm getting stressed even thinking about it. (laughs) Is Is there anything else behind why money is so stressful? Yeah, there is one more thing, which is our inability to connect with our future selves. And we've got an amazing interview coming up in one of the future podcasts with a guy called Hal Hirschfield. So I won't say too much about this now, but this will be, you know, look out for that for that Hal Hirschfield interview. There's some great stuff in there. All I will say at the moment is our brains are not able to picture our future selves. And therefore, we are really not good at thinking about us in the future. Um, and 
doing something that will benefit us in the future. We're just not wired to do that. And again, if we're forced to do that, it's going to make us stressful. Okay, so I can see how everything around money is stressful, particularly when it comes to the future. Um, And I also get your argument that stress is bad for our immune systems. Ergo, money is bad for our health. This podcast is about being helpful, not just informative. We can't just leave it there. We've got to provide some solutions. So what can we do about this problem? Uh, Gosh, Uh, let's go for it. Right. I think the main thing, David, is to take time to think about your relationship to money. Now, can you define that? What do you mean specifically by relationship to money? Um, If I try and think about some of the things that we talk about, for example, connecting our spending habits with our future plans. You know, if you have a plan, for example, to change a job from one that pays well but causes you stress to one that doesn't pay quite so well but gives you more pride and purpose, etc., then you should create a cash flow and financial plan to show how this could be achievable. And this might mean looking at some of the areas that you spend your money. You're spending money on luxury and status items that aren't bringing you any joy and even worse, aren't bringing that potential future job change closer. Great. Okay. So is that something that I could just sit down now and do by myself? Um, I might be a little bit biased in this comment, David. You can, um, but it's not easy. Um, you, you, you can afford it. Uh, and that's why you've engaged in a financial planner and, and that third party um, is able to hold some of the things you say to account or even help you explore those things in an objective way. If only there was somebody I knew who could do that for me. <laughs> of course, Tom, that's exactly what you do for me and, but, and you do it very well indeed. Yeah, but, but, but I mean, but, it, it's important. I would state at this point that we're talking about proper financial planning here. Yeah, and when you say proper, you mean someone who at least does cash flow forecasting. Yeah, at the, at the very minimum. You know, I'd also suggest uh, you should use an advisor who or, or planner. This is an interchangeable um, title that you'll see. He was training in coaching skills um, and has maybe undertaken, plug time, the Financial Wellbeing Certificate from the Institute of Financial Wellbeing that, that has planners such as myself, uh, admittedly, who are really looking at, at this connection between you know this relationship between money and happiness um, but also a skilled in helping clients understand what this actually means to them i'm just going to back up what thomas just said there it's about um i just want to emphasize the importance of coaching skills actually this goes for any professional services not just financial advice solicitors accountants etc listening and questioning skills are not something we are born with In fact, I would say they're taught out of us through our education and professional qualifications where we're taught to seek solutions. And so when we a client starts talking, what we're doing is immediately categorizing them into the number of answers that we have. Whereas what clients often need is to create more options. So the third party advisor is really, really important at this point because it's really difficult to challenge our own assumptions. By definition, they're assumptions and therefore not something we're necessarily aware of. Yeah, I, that's very true. I think, uh, I mean, my my journey to a better financial self-awareness uh, certainly accelerated since the time that I've, we've been doing this podcast and that since I've been employing you guys as, to advise me. 
But it started much earlier than that, I think, although it's accelerated recently. Uh, And it started when I realised, as you say, that I was making certain assumptions about myself and money uh, that weren't actually true. And a lot of those assumptions we pick up from our childhood, from our parents. So getting a better relationship with money really should involve talking to an expert, whether that's a financial advisor or financial coach, but somebody who knows the financial well-being aspect of this, not just maths or investment. Understanding Mm. what makes you happy, whether you've got any behaviours working against you, any self-limiting beliefs to create a financial plan, which will make you happier, not just wealthier and healthier. I just want to add on to that is, Cruz is absolutely right, but there's also this element that, that a that a good planner or co- financial coach, um, and that's a, that's a burgeoning area, um, they will actually help educate you along the way as well. So we talked about this lack of education and understanding of money. They can help you with that as well. So I know this sounds like a massive plug, but but that people never really understand what what financial planning planning is and what financial planners do. Well, good ones do what we're talking about here. Um, so it's important that more and more people know that there is a good job being done by by many good planners out there. Absolutely. I've really enjoyed the chat today. We set out to look at this notion that money can actually have a detrimental effect on our health. I think we've shown indeed that it can. But what I hope we've also showed you is that there is another way of doing it, which will end up with you feeling healthier, wealthier, wiser, but most importantly, happier. So thanks very much for joining us all today on the podcast. And we look forward to your company again the next time we do one of our financial well-being podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. <laughs>